Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, part one of a two-part Megapod. I'm John Manuel, along with Connor Glassy and Nathan Rohde. Uh They're in the podcast nook. I'm uh, disembodied <laughs> back in my office uh, as we record this uh, with three people. It's uh, Instead of just sitting around a hot computer like we used to, we're all actually trying to use microphones and headsets and stuff. So, guys, I, uh, we're putting our first part of our draft preview to sleep today. Sleep being the operative word because uh, we all didn't get enough last night as we write up our scouting reports and finalize this uh, labor-intensive issue. But, uh, you know, for me, it's probably the most fun issue, even when you sit in one place and write 7,600 words of scouting reports in one day because I just feel like we're all so much, like, smarter now than we were, like, a month ago <laughs> with all the phone calls and all the uh, emails and the – Information we've been really bearing down on, just a single, single-minded, uh, as guided by voices would say, surgical focus on the draft. And we've recorded, we've reported a lot of news lately, and uh, so let's just dive right in with some of the news, uh, and and we can discuss as how it pertains to the class, because the guy, you know, you guys uh, see all the high school players. You focused on uh, Lucas Giolito as the number one player on the high school side, number two in the class coming into the spring. He got hurt in March, and Nathan, uh, you talked to uh, you know Lucas's father, Rick Giolito. So Lucas is throwing again, and, and why don't you start, and then Connor, you talk about what you think Giolito's place is in this draft, and uh, if or when he might throw off an actual mound in front of actual scouts. Well, uh, in talking to Rick Giolito uh, on Wednesday, he, uh, Lucas started throwing for the first time on May 4th uh, on flat ground. I think he threw about 60 pitches uh, his first time out uh, from a distance of 60 feet. Uh, He's still working at 60 feet right now, and there's no exact timetable as to when he will, you know, advance the distances or increase the number of pitches he throws or anything like that. But it's thought that in the next week or so, he'll move to 90 feet and then 120 after that, uh, and like I said, with no exact time frame, it's also we're not sure when he'll open those workouts up because right now they've been they've been private. Uh, Rick was uh, there for some of them, but he even uh, wasn't there for the duration or all of his workouts. It's really just Lucas doing his thing under the supervision of his uh, of his doctors at the the Curlin Job Orthopedic Clinic in Los Angeles. They also do a lot of work with uh, the Angels, the Dodgers, the Lakers, you know, all the professional teams in the L.A. area as well as, you know, Southern California Athletics. Uh, and they uh, 
they gave Lucas a program to really focus on certain areas of his body to strengthen so that, you know, he's stronger in the future and, you know, per- is very preventative in terms of injuries. Uh, you know, they want him working on his shoulder, getting that stronger, getting his back stronger. Uh, and they even, you know, went over some video with him and kind of broke it down and, uh, you know, it's not that he had bad mechanics, uh, but they just pointed out a few things that he should try to, um, you know, clean up just a little bit that might help him uh, in the future uh, prevent from having an injury, or as as best you can prevent an injury in pitcher these in a pitcher these days. Well, hearing all that, Connor, where would you take him in this draft with these CBA changes? We don't want to you know beat that dead horse, but with the state of this draft, this draft and this draft class. Where, where you know in your mind, where does Lucas Giolito fit? Well, that's that's the tough part because I mean the CBA obviously has to factor into it. Just because Giolito entered the season as one of the top guys, you know, maybe even um, having a possibility to be the first high school pick, pitcher picked one one. So you know, coming into the season, this is a guy who had uh, pretty high expectations. You would think of, of what he was going to get paid and what he's worth compared to everyone else. And so, you know, it just depends on how much, if at all, he's willing to, to lower that price tag and lower those expectations. But if he's not, then, you know, there's only certain teams that can really fit him into their budget if the team is going to play by the, the budget that MLB put forth with the bonus pools. Um, you know, I still think that if he's healthy, he's, he's an absolute you know, top five, top ten prospect uh, because his stuff was just so good. But it's all going to come down to who's able to see him, first of all, because I think if a team is going to want to invest that kind of money in a high school player, they're going to want to at least get a look at him before before the draft rolls around. And then who can, can, you know, finagle him into their budget? Hard to imagine for me that if he doesn't throw – like whether it's a game, a simulated game, some kind of – I just can't imagine him going in the first ten picks. And then really, if he if he doesn't go in those first five to seven picks, say, uh, the bonus pools shrink after that, and it's really difficult to see, in my mind, guys, a team taking him and being able to pay him what it will take to keep him away from UCLA. Over, under – I'm going to put his chances of attending UCLA at 75%. Nathan, over, under? Mm, uh, under. Connor? I got the under, too. You know, I, I did it right after he got hurt. I, I did a, a draft blog post kind yeah. of on this, and the one interesting team at the back of the first round, if he, if he even falls as far as the Brewers, right. because they have two first-round picks, so maybe you know maybe they can pick a signable player with one of them, somebody who's not expecting to be a first-rounder, and and they can, you know, sign him and save some money there. But the the other interesting aspect to that scenario with the Brewers is that their owner, uh, Mark Atanasio, his his sons both went to Harvard Harvard Westlake, where Giolito goes. So that's just kind of an interesting tie-in there. It is a little bit of an interesting tie-in, and I, I like that as a uh, that that, <coughs> that that is a deep cut destination. I think that is a possible destination that will be a little bit bolder than your average Brewers draft <laughs> class, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be su- I would be surprised if they do that, but I thought I liked the way you set that up a couple months ago, and uh, it's a good one. Now, it, uh, there are a couple other injury guys out there, and another guy who was in the top ten to start the year 
was Victor Roach, outfielder from Georgia Southern. You know, hit 30 home runs last year. So the college, so your offense in college baseball is down by 50 percent, and this guy becomes the first guy to hit 30 home runs in a season since 2003. It's quite a when you really put it in that perspective. Statistically, that was one of the crazy good seasons that we've seen in college baseball in an awfully long time. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he did it in the Southern Conference. He did it, and uh, I'm you know, so he was in our top ten for for good reason. I know he struggled in the second half of the Cape Cod League last year. But, guys, this is basically a bat first. I wouldn't say bat only, but if you're drafting this guy, you're buying the bat. And it's a right-right corner outfield profile. You know how I feel about those. (laughs) Not a lot of those in the big leagues who come out of college baseball. And on top of it, it's a power guy who has a significant wrist injury. The way an area scout put it to me, it's not – Cliff Floyd, but it's not Jackie Bradley Jr. either. It's not one where he, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. last year came back fairly quickly, whereas Cliff Floyd took him a year or two to really become Cliff Floyd again. Um, And he'd already reached the major leagues. This is a guy who's still doing it with metal bats. So where do you guys think Victor Roach fits in here? Uh, You know, to me, I think he's probably still going to go in the first round, but mostly because there are no college uh, there are no college bats out there. And Connor, you talked to Victor Roche today. What was, what was his uh, not today recently? What was his mindset of his comeback? How did you how did he sound to you? And where do you think he winds up going? Yeah, I talked to him yesterday, and he was he was in great spirits. Uh, he sounded really upbeat. Uh, I think he has always maintained a, a positive outlook on this. I mean, I, I remember when I talked to him the first time around. When it first happened, he was still even upbeat. He said, "Hey, you know what? It happens. Players get hurt. I'm going to use this time to get better in other areas." And um, so he sounded good, which was good to hear. It sounds like he got his cast off about a month ago. And the first month, he said, has just been uh, he's just been kind of doing, you know, strengthening, not strengthening, just kind of trying to get loose again because it was his, you know, his wrist had a couple pins in it and it it was totally immobile for the the month he had the cast on. And so now he's just trying to kind of work work through some of that stiffness and then the next month he said he can try and get stronger and get back to picking up a bat um he didn't really have a definite timetable on when that's going to happen but he it did sound like that he's going to try to pick up a bat and take some cuts uh maybe at a pre-draft workout or two before the draft so like you said i mean there's just there really aren't very many impact college bats in this class so I, I'm with you. I still think he's going to be a first-rounder just because of his track record and the fact that the it's it's pretty slim pickings in that regard. And I think, uh, you know, Jim talked to, and we're going to part two of the podcast, of the draft podcast will be tomorrow morning. We'll record Friday morning. Uh, Jim Callis will join me here on the on the Skype chat, and we'll uh, and talk about the first-round projection. Um, but one of the quotes that Jim uh, got from a scouting director this week was that this is the weakest – college position player class in years, maybe in the last 20 years, I would posit it's the weakest since 2000 when uh, your college, your only college position players drafted in the first round that year were Joe Borchard, who got a $5.3 million bonus, but wound up, I think it's fair to say, was a bust. Chase Utley, obviously, worked out, great career. And then David Parrish, who was a bust, who was really a guy that the Yankees forced up their draft board at 28. And then uh, and the rest of the top 50 picks, the other college position players who were drafted that year were Tyrell Godwin, who got a cup of coffee to the big leagues. I'm going to count him, even though he's an independent indie leaguer, Bobby Hill, 
would have been a college senior, but when my University of Miami, then Atlantic League, drafted by the Cubs in the second uh, supplemental first round, Tag Bozide, who never quite made it, longtime fan of Tag Bozide, Mike Tonus, Cal, cup of coffee, now on the Greek national team, Dane Sardinia, and uh, Xavier Nady, ex Nady, who was like a top college hitter on the board for a lot of teams, but fell because of signability. And if you look back at that year's college All-America team, it really just tells you how, how brutal the, the class was. Like one of the best careers by the college position players, uh, besides Utley, who was on All-America team, who guys were draft eligible. You're looking at guys like Brad Hopp and Joe Inglet as your other best careers. I mean, it was really a, a brutal college draft class. Nathan Connor, you got Nathan. You did the the Carolinas and the Northeast. Connor, you did Puerto Rico and the West. Obviously, Puerto Rico not really a factor here for college position players. But are there enough college position players from your regions to make this a better year than 2000? Uh, I, you know, I don't really know. I, I don't think so. Uh, there, the college hitters in in my region, you know, are interesting. Um, but uh, you know, when you look at a guy like Chris Taylor at University of Virginia. You know, he, he can hit, you know, he's a solid hitter, but you're not looking at him, you know, because he's a college bat and he's advanced and he's going to go quickly to the big leagues because he's going to hit. He, I think he's going to hit, but I don't know if it's going to be really an impact bat. You're drafting him because he's a guy that likely stays at shortstop, provides you with good defense, has a plus arm, uh, you know, runs well, uh, and the bat will be, you know, a solid part of his game. Uh, but then you then you have uh, you know L.J. Mazzilli uh, up at Connecticut, and you know he probably fits the profile more of kind of that advanced bat. But then you're also just talking about kind of an offensive-minded second baseman, and that's if you know he can develop his defense a little more. Right now, there are questions about his defense and staying at second base. Uh, the scouts I've talked to aren't too concerned with it. Uh, they right. feel like they can get him into a pro system and, and really help him. Basically, he's waiting back on balls too much, and then he has to rush, which leads to errors, obviously. Um, and then, you know, Tom Murphy. You know, he hasn't had the year people would expect out of him, but he's shown very good power in the past, you know, taking Kevin Gossman deep in that little showcase game against Team USA last year. But he's more of a... You know, another solid offense guy that, uh, you know, everyone sees his solid catch-and-throw skills behind the plate, and, you know, he's kind of, uh, I guess, in a way, a poor man's Mike Zanino. He does a little bit of everything, and um, but he's not, you know, quite at that same level. Oh so he's, he's got a better body than Zanino, and he's more, there's... He's strong. <laughs> he's more, that's, he's, I think he's more athletic. I think he's more athletic. Athleticism is a question for Zanino, but mm-hmm. like in the Northeast, like your guys coming into the year were guys like Travis Jankowski, right? Um, and he's kind of had a little bit of a down year. I mean Murphy, what? like you said, Jeremy Baltz, Jeremy Baltz, Christian Walker. Either of those guys got a shot to go in the first ten rounds. Well, Christian Walker, he he fascinates me as a. If I'm taking a college first baseman, there's not a, there's not a lot of good college first basemen. Mm-hmm. I understand where some would maybe prefer. Preston Tucker. I wish I'd said this in our top 200 meeting the other day, but <laughs> I almost think I'd take Christian Walker over Matt Snyder and uh, and uh, Preston Tucker, even even if he's a right right guy. Right. The question is, you know, how much power does Christian Walker really have? You know, South Carolina. Everybody knows that that's kind of a kind of a bandbox down there. The ball really flies out, and you know, you look at Christian Walker's power numbers, and there aren't really 
they aren't really what you would expect for that position, much less that position in a in a favorable home park. Uh, not to mention, yeah, he can handle the bat and he can hit a little bit, but uh, you know, I know it's only you know one quick look, but I saw him swinging through 89 to 90 mile an hour fastballs from Ryan Stanek the other night on TV. So you know, there are uh, definitely some questions about the bat, even though you do like it. Um, and then when you look at the overall profile, you kind of second guess yourself. I would say. How about uh, how about for you out west, uh, Connor? You had Devin Marrero. Uh, sounds like yeah. he's going to go in the first round, but we almost should call him a first round <coughs> glove as opposed to a first round bat, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, John, going back to what you were talking about with uh, this year lining up with the the year 2000, um, the the interesting thing is that this is another strong year for Northern California, and uh, yeah, and you know, wasn't that the year where we did the Golden Gate Bridge cover? It absolutely was the year that we did the coolest cover in college baseball preview issue history. Uh, yes, with the tag Bozai, Joe Borcher, and X80. That really yeah. Uh, we could have we could have replicated it this year, you know, with Kyle Zimmer and Mark Appel and you know Stephen Piscotti or something like that. But um, yeah, Stanford's whole team and Kyle Zimmer basically. And yeah, Tony, and the great Cal Bear Tony Renda. Yeah, well there you go. That that those are the guys I was going to bring up first. Was was the guys in NorCal with Piscotti and Tony Renda. Um, Piscotti is is interesting because he's another right right guy and he's actually he's moved to the outfield for for Alex Blandino there at Stanford and for scouts that that's kind of a problem because he's not a great third baseman but he he profiles better at third base right. more of a doubles guy than a slugger but um, in the outfield it's a it's a much tougher profile being the you know the right right um, you know with not a lot of corner power so. Yeah, if you really looked, I mean, I, I loved from last year in the Cape Copley, I loved the Piscotti to Garrett Atkins comparison. Yeah. I really thought there was a lot of merit to that. Garrett Atkins was a good big leaguer for a few, year, a few years where he was, you know, as long as he hit, his defense was passable. That's how it feels like Stephen Piscotti's going to be. Piscotti probably has a little bit more arm strength than Garrett Atkins. Mm-hmm. Um, probably similar level of athleticism, maybe a little bit better athlete. Maybe not quite as pure a hitter as Garrett Atkins. Garrett Atkins is a pretty, pretty pure hitter, and again goes back to this 2000 class as well. Uh, drafted the same year uh, as uh, Chase Utley. They were classmates at, at UCLA, so it's all, it's all coming back to 2000 right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and the other guy who I think conspicuous by his absence in this discussion of college position players is the highest drafted hitter out of the 2009 high school ranks who went to college, and that's Kenny Kroger. Uh, went to a four-year college. Connor, just explain to our listeners what happened. <laughs> what, what happened to Kenny DeKroger? Why is Kenny, why is Kenny DeKroger on this draft list for us on our preliminary top 200 below five foot eight Tony Renda? Well, first of all, the hit tool separates them. I mean, scouts love Tony Renda's bat. I mean. I mean, and even even before I was talking to scouts this year about Tony Renda last year when I was doing draft calls, basically every Pac-10 coach, I mean, to a man, went out of his way to praise Tony Renda. I, I didn't bring him up. They just said, oh, and while we're talking about players, Tony Renda is awesome. I mean, that was basically how they all went. They all just wanted to tell me that they love this guy, and this was, you know, opposing coaches across the board pretty much. And then this year, it's been the same thing from scouts. I mean, he just seems like he's such an easy player to root for. Um, but, I mean, 
tools wise, Scout's also I mean they they love his bat. He's he really hits. He has a knack for hitting. Um, the other parts of his game aren't great. I mean, he it sounds like he's just a, a passable defender at, at second base, um, but he runs the bases well. He plays hard, and you know they like guys that can hit like that. So I think he's going to go pretty good. Um, you know, maybe as high as the, the second round, but um, yeah, yeah, Scott's really like him. Um, other than that, though, in my areas. You mentioned Marrero down there in the four corners. That's really the only big-time college hitter down there, I believe. And then in the Northwest, it's it's really light for college players all around the Northwest. Um, with Christian Jones getting hurt at Oregon, Oregon State's young. Uh, I think you know the top player I turned in from Washington as far as college guys was Jake Lamb, who's had a disappointing year. So it's it's just down all around for college baseball. It's for really on the is. position side. It really, I, I think it really is, and uh, just from the southeast, you know, the concentration for me was really the high school hitters. Uh, from a college standpoint, I mean, outside of Mike Zanino, it's it's a little bit thin. I'm just looking down our list, and uh, you know, Brian Johnson's a position player, but he's going to get drafted as a pitcher. Uh, Nolan Fontana, you know, he's going to go supplemental to late first round because he's safe. Not a ton of impact there. And then you start talking about college seniors, guys like Peter O'Brien if he gets healthy, James Ramsey out of uh, Florida State, who's kind of a split camp guy. Um, and then uh, Adam Brett Walker, I think Adam Brett Walker kind of is in that Tom Murphy discussion of a guy who, you know, last summer, and we, we had a great spring last year, just like Tom Murphy, big power, good body. Uh, you could get excited about him, but the, longer, the more you saw him in the cape, the more you saw him swing and miss. And this year it's been ordinary at Jacksonville. They don't face a lot of great competition in their conference in the Atlantic Sun. The league is very down this year. Their team is terrible at Jacksonville. It's been a disastrous year. And while he's put up good numbers, he just hasn't taken that next step. And, you know, whether he's a right fielder or a left fielder or a first baseman, there's a lot demanded of his bat. And with that much swing and miss, and then people really have questions on him. I think in a regular year, this would be a guy that scouts would be much more comfortable turning in as a third to fifth round pick and instead he gets pushed up uh, into the second-round consideration, and he's the best college first baseman on the board, which is kind of shocking when you really think about it. So uh, mm-hmm. it's just really hard to find guys in any of our regions. It feels like it's hard to find a guy who's really made a name for himself, who's really moved up. And like in the southeast, the guy who's really moved up is D.J. Davis, the mm-hmm. Mississippi prep outfielder who really, I guess, was it really last year at East Coast? that he kind of burst on the scene? Uh, was he a little bit of a known guy before that, but really raised his profile at East Coast where he ran a 6.3860? That certainly jumped out, and then I think uh, him continuing to play at the World of Bat Championships in Jupiter in October. Uh, you know, Don't for that. forget, he, he played on a scout team. He played on a Mets scout team in the fall with David Dahl. They were teammates. And they played, like, a, a string of games against junior colleges in the fall. And D.J. Davis and, and D, uh, David Dahl owned those games, uh, according to the scouts I talked to. Those guys were far and away the best players in the field against older competition. They had no problem handling, you know, those guys who were just a year older than them in some cases, junior college freshmen. But they had no problem handling velocity, handling a little bit uh, better coached players. And, uh, you know, to me, that's where... 
Davis kind of really made that big jump, and he's held it this spring. He he was building momentum, and the fact that he's maintained it and even continued to get better this spring, he's the guy in the southeast who seems like he's made the biggest leap. I mean, in your area, Nathan, is is that Corey Seager, or is there somebody else in your area who's made a big leap forward? I definitely think, you know, it's Corey Seager. You know, early on, we were talking about him, and guys like him. They like the the hit tool, uh, the defense uh, you know, at shortstop, it's good defense, but it's probably even better if he moves over to third base uh, and he's strong. He really goes the other way with uh, with power. Uh, so guys like that, but it was kind of, there was this kind of vibe that he was unsignable. Um, but now it's more, it sounds like he would be unsignable out of the first round, and now we're all thinking, you know what, he's a first-round talent. You know, maybe even middle of the first round or higher, depending on the team. Um, but he he's certainly that guy that's kind of come on strong. And the other thing, uh, Scott was telling me that, you know, he just does things so easy. Sometimes you feel like uh, it's just, it's too easy for him and they're kind of a low motor. But in fact, you know, it, the game just comes so easy to him that it doesn't, he doesn't have to put a lot of effort into it. And it's not that he's, he's lazy or, you know, you know, a bad kid or anything like that. It's just, the game comes naturally to him, and, you know, scouts are beginning to see that. Yeah, and it sounds like, uh, Connor, for you out west, I mean, there's really not an obvious guy to me who's... Well, Zimmer made the jump early. That's it. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't was looking that high. Coming into this season, Zimmer made the jump early, and he's stayed there um, as the draft approaches. So that that's probably the main guy in my area. And then, you know, some of the Puerto Rican guys I went down to see, I mean, Correa obviously was... A big name coming in, he solidified that, but maybe one of the biggest risers is J.L. Berrios, a guy who wasn't on our high school top 100, Right. Um, but he added about 20 pounds of muscle from the summer to now, and um, that really helped him. It, it didn't just help him with his velocity, which went from like 90-92 up to now he's sitting like 93-95, and I had a scout tell me he's even seen him touch 98 but it also helped with his delivery. I mean, he kind of had a little bit of a violent delivery in the summertime, and he's yeah. the, the added weight and the added muscles allowed him to smooth things out and throw more strikes. So now you're talking about a guy who's sitting you know, low to mid-90s, touching 98, with a, a really sharp slider and a, a pretty good change-up. So he's a guy that um, I think you know we have him in the, in the sandwich round as far as talent when we're lining up our, our top 200. But he's a guy that absolutely wouldn't surprise me if he jumps up into the first round for a team that's looking for a guy who is signable if they want to maybe save a little money for a pick later on. And that's obviously it. It's going to be a part of tomorrow's podcast as well. I think Jim and I, we can talk a little bit tomorrow more about strategies that some of these teams are employing because I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. I talked to Jeff Luno the other day, and he just said, anyone who tries to tell you what's going to happen between picks one, that they, their first pick, and 41, their second pick, is fooling. There's, just no, there's no way because I, I think it's a, it's a very volatile when – the, when the draft ta- – when the talent in the class, when everyone's got a flaw, everyone's got a hickey, it's going to come down to personal preference and what your scouts see. and um, It's going to be a very, I think, very unpredictable draft. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John, Connor, and Nathan – Guys, let's talk a little bit about best tools. Uh, I don't know if you guys have your best tools in front of you. Um, but it really did seem like this was one of the hardest ones to put together. Again, the college class, I don't want to bang on it too much, but I guess <laughs> I do because it's impossible to find any college athletes in this 
draft or college runners. I mean, yeah. Who do we like? <laughs> who do we like? On the, what was a category where you really had a hard time deciding on best tools, Connor? As the rest of us all, as well, gave you suggestions and you lined up our suggestions from our regions. What was the toughest one? That was the toughest call. In terms yeah, you, of- na- you you nailed it. I mean, the the college athlete and the the college you know fastest runner and those obviously kind of go hand in hand. Um, and you know that's a, a trend we've seen for the past several years because teams have been doing such a good job of grabbing those athletes out of high school and signing those kids before they get to college. Um, so, you know, we've we've seen a lack of athleticism in high school. And then with the fastest runners, I mean, I was amazed. Guys we are considering for our, our college fastest runners are, yeah. I mean, they're not burners. They're 60 runners. You know, we had to we had to kind of scrounge around to find some, some plus runners that to, to fill out the college fastest runners, which is, um, I mean, just – it's just a little bit different in college baseball, and and uh, you know that's probably going to change here in the next three years. At, <laughs> going back to the CBA, which I said I didn't want to talk a lot about during the podcast, but here it is again. It's it's definitely a theme. But as more of these college players or the, more of these high school players kind of on the bubble wind up in college, I think you're going to see the college game become more athletic. Here's a here's a different one, uh, Nathan. I'll ask this to you. Like, one of the most intriguing ones to me is best fastball. I mean, we have a decent amount of, of guys on the college side who fill it up, but the high school side, there are a lot of guys bringing 97, 98 cheddar. I mean, we don't even have for best fastball. We don't even have uh, Joey Gallo on here, do we? And Joey Gallo, you guys, we, we have video of him hitting 98. We, we put him in for best arm, but we since we're listing him as the position player, yeah, first. yeah. I mean, we we have video of him hitting 98 at NHSI, right? I mean, we do. I mean, this is big time velocity. But Giolito, McCullers Jr., Hensley, Sims, Morrill, Berrios, Zach Eflin, Nick Travieso. Uh, that seems like that's one. Uh, last year's class was exceptional for velocity. It doesn't feel like this year's is exceptional, but at least it's not weak in terms of velocity. Absolutely, it definitely it certainly isn't on the on the level it was last year, but it's definitely uh, good once again. And you know that's the thing uh, that Connor and I were talking about when we were lining up the high school prospects early on. You know, it seems like there's always a hard throwing right hander out of high school, and that's why we opted to put Buxton number one as the uh, as the top prospect in high school because we felt his tool set was a little more rare. That's no discredit to Lucas Giolito. Yes, he throws hard, and there are plenty of hard-throwing right-handers in high school, but Giolito also brings a lot more to the table uh, you know, when he's healthy uh, than the typical high school right-hander. But uh, there certainly isn't a shortage of big velocity this year, especially when you consider some of the guys that were putting out big velocity you know, even last year might not be doing so last year. I know uh, this year, Weichel, you know was never really a huge velocity guy, but, you know, you'd see some threes and fours out of him. Uh, but right. as you're getting in your reports, you're just not seeing that this year. And then you're seeing the guys, like last year when I saw Zach Eflin, he was 89 to 91. Uh, and, you know, this year he's now sitting low to mid-90s and touching a little higher. Travieso, I've seen 89 to 92 touching some fours, and now he's taking that step forward. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Taylor Guerrero last year. You know, on the showcase circuit, he was anywhere from 88 to 92, and then he comes out and he's 93 to 95. So there's really, it doesn't really ever feel like there's a shortage of uh, of velocity when it comes to the high school right-handers. 
Yeah, but this year, to me, I think it really seems like it helped Connor that guys like Travieso, seems like some some guys like him, took some real steps forward in terms of going from good velocity to kind of elite velocity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but the other one that, that can be tough is uh, best strike zone judgment for high school players, because oh, yeah, that is you know, one. just like the the scouts have to deal with when they go to these games. I mean, that's why scouts love. Uh, not only the summer showcase circuit, but matchup games. You know, in the springtime, they have all those games circled in their in their schedule books where they can see a hitter they're interested in against a guy who's throwing, you know, mid-80s, upper-80s, <laughs> into the 90s if they're lucky or depending on their area. But um, the strike zone judgment can be very difficult to judge for the high school players just because they're not they're not typically facing quality pitchers. Well, they all go to the high school blog at the uh, during the high school preview and look at the uh, matchups of the year. <laughs> there you go. That, that's the place to go. If they're smart, that's uh, that's where they go. Uh, Baseball America podcast with John and Connor and Nathan. Guys, let's wrap up by just talking a little bit about uh, our regions. Uh, I think we discussed it a little bit. Um, but just just overall strengths, weaknesses. What's the Northeast and the Carolinas uh, look like for you, Nathan? Uh, you know, besides just the guys who kind of jumped up. Uh, what's just your general? What's the what's the vibe been among scouts up there? Good, bad, indifferent. Wait till next year. You know, kind of what's the? Uh, well, uh, you got any five star states up that way? Uh, I don't think we're gonna have any any five star states uh, except you know you might argue New York. There isn't a lot of elite talent out of New York this year, uh, but there's certainly some depth when you're talking about the guys at Stony Brook at St. John's, uh, and then Tom Murphy at Buffalo, and then. You know, if you want to talk about it, you can talk about the high school guys, you know, who aren't in the top 200, but, you know, the Fernella Sanchez's of the world who have, you know, big tools, but it doesn't really translate to the game. Uh, so that might be the only one that I would even argue for. But uh, in the Northeast, it's just kind of a, a middle-of-the-road vibe. You know, you got some guys that, you know, the, the scouts like, but they don't get really excited about when you're talking to them on the phone. Um, and then in the Mid-Atlantic in the South, uh, South Carolina and North Carolina, it's kind of, uh, you know, outside of those guys like Seeger and Stroman and, and Schaefer, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, you got Eddie Butler, you know, in Virginia who can bump some 97s and 98s, but his secondary stuff is a question, and I think that probably has led to, you know, why his strikeout numbers aren't what you would think they would be in the Big South, as you've mentioned, John. Um, and then you got Brandon Klein, who we all know has a, you know power stuff with the fastball and the slider, um, but uh, the delivery that he has just isn't conducive to his frame and his style of pitching. And he's kind of had a roller coaster year. Um, and uh, you know, in North Carolina, obviously you got Stroman, um, but Cody Stubbs has been a disappointment at North Carolina. Uh, there's too many yeah. holes in his swing, a lot of swing and miss. Uh, Tommy Coyle, you know, guys thought guys knew he probably wasn't a shortstop, but he, you know, might be a left-handed offensive second baseman, and you know, he's been a bit of a disappointment as well. Um, so it, it's, I would say, it's probably a down year aside from those those guys at the top. But I do know for sure that they're not saying wait till next year because I have a feeling it might be even worse. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I so mark my word on that, that one. All right, I'd hate to see that though. But uh, well, I know you're not counting Rhett Wiseman as one of your top uh, guys in the Northeast, so, <laughs> Connor. You can, I like you Rhett can... Wiseman just not as much as Connor. I love Rhett Wiseman. <laughs> he uh, he's he's a great athlete, and yes, he's he's a great kid. 
Um, he is. I think we all know who Connor's personal cheese ball is in this draft. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot. I, I love cheese balls. <laughs> we know. <laughs> but, uh, Wiseman is very well put together, very physical kid. It's just uh, a lot of swing and miss to his game, and, and the, there's a, his swing, there's not a lot of body control to it. He needs to tone things down, but he does have a couple of things that you can't really teach. He's got really good speed. He's got really good bat speed. Um, so, you know, things might be able to click for him, but I think he's a guy that, you know, he's he's going to have to go to Vanderbilt and, and figure things out there. There's a there's a bet board brewing between Connor and myself on Rep Wiseman. Just haven't figured out the exact uh, parameters yet. I told yeah, Nate that. You, pick your terms. I'll take Wiseman. Anyway, you need, you need Rhett Wiseman to uh, to set the terms since uh, since he responds to email and, and texts. Uh, what's the what's the vibe like out west, uh, Connor? I know you don't do Southern California, but I mean, I, I was just looking back to some recent drafts. 2006 is the last draft where one of the top 25 picks was not a Southern California player. That year, James Simmons was the best of a bad lot in Southern California, and he, of course, uh, did not have much of a career with the Oakland Athletics. But uh, So Southern California is part of the West, and it's not part of your region per se, but we all know, we've talked about it all year, that SoCal is down. But it feels like the rest of the West is at least okay. You know, not horrible, but it's Well, okay. yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, NorCal, probably at least right. four stars. Could be, it could be five stars in NorCal. I mean, it's pretty loaded at the top. There's a bunch of interesting high school players. Um, Puerto Rico's definitely five stars with it, it you know, with Correa, he's going to be the, the highest drafted Puerto Rican ever. Um, more than likely. I mean, the, the current record is 17th overall. Oh yeah. Uh, he's going to bust that. Ramon Castro. And that was just a couple months before Correa was born. But, um, other than that, I mean, Washington is, is just okay. Washington and Oregon both kind of have the, their one guy that stands out. And they're right across the river from each other, and um, with Clint Coulter in Washington and Carson Kelly in Oregon. But after that, there's it, it kind of drops off a little bit for both both states. Uh, Washington is a little bit better, um, you know. That's an unbiased comment right there. <laughs> but Washington is a little bit better than Oregon, um, you in know, because there's a little more draft. pitching in our in our top 200. There's Adrian Sampson, who you know, was drafted last year in the 16th round, didn't sign, back at Bellevue Community College, or Bellevue College now, I, I guess. And um, and then Mitch Geller, who's been kind of the, the pop-up guy out there in the Northwest, is an athletic right-hander that's been up to 94. And uh, listeners of the podcast would know about him if they if they read Draft Tracker. But um, nice. NorCal and Puerto Rico are, are the standouts in my area. But the Four Corners is, is kind of empty. Is huh? down. Yeah, the Four Corners is down, and and Oregon Oregon's down because there's there's just not a lot of guys at Oregon and Oregon State. I mean, those those are the schools that drive Oregon, and and you know at Oregon, uh, Christian Jones is hurt, and there's not a lot after him as far as you know top top five round, top six round guys, maybe even top ten round guys. And then Oregon State is is young. I mean, their team's pretty much being led right now by the two freshmen that come from Washington. So there you go. That's another example of how Washington is better than Oregon, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, Again, Connor's. Time. That's it. Connor's, of course, from the the. Uh, well, what state is it though? Evergreen the Evergreen State. state. I got the it. The Evergreen State. state. Yep. Well, it feels like the talent in the Southeast. So we have 95 scouting reports in the first two rounds in the early draft preview, the part one of the draft preview, 
I think I wrote 36 of those for guys in the southeast. So it uh, feels like the southeast, uh, I have basically the, all the states that used to be in the Confederacy except for the Carolinas and Texas. And it uh, feels like the, those states are providing the bulk of especially the offensive players, whether it's David Dahl, Albert Al- Almora. And I wrote up like eight center fielders. Uh, Albert Almora, David Dahl, uh, the two football players, Anthony Offord and Jamius Woodston, whether they sign or not, more likely not. Buxton, uh, D- of course. DJ Davis, and of course, exactly, Byron Buxton. So uh, that, that's, you know, there's the scouts I've talked to in the Southeast have all been very busy. And they've all talked about other scouts from other regions coming into their region. I mean, even like Arkansas has got a couple guys in Devon McClure, a high schooler. Uh, maybe uh, DJ Baxendale's younger brother. I forget his first name. I think it's Brett Baxendale. He Blake. can go out in a single. Blake, thank you. He can go out with a single-digit pick. Uh, who's the pitcher? It's not Ty Hensley. It's another Killian. Trey Killian. He could go out if people have seen him on the right day. Um, so even Arkansas, and of course the college team, uh, hasn't been quite up to what people expect out of it. But you still have Nolan Sandburn bumping some 99s and. Uh, you still have other pitching depth there. Matt Reynolds is a solid college bat. And otherwise, I think he's propped up by the fact that it's a bad year for college hitters. And he's fairly athletic, should be able to stay on the dirt. Probably a future utility guy, kind of a Russ Johnson kind of player. Um, but, I mean, every state in the southeast, with the exception of Tennessee, I think feels like it's a little bit better than usual. Maybe Alabama is a little bit down because the college teams there are just okay. Or I should say, actually, are bad. <laughs> Alabama's bad. Auburn is not so good. But then again, Auburn, how often do they have a guy like David Dahl? I know that's what I'm saying. On the high yeah. school side, it is. On the college side, but you also have Lex Rutledge, and you have one of my personal cheese balls, Brandon Miller. Very, uh, very interesting player. Uh, to put it in BA recent draft terms, he's kind of like Luke Merton, who might be able to catch. <laughs> that's that's inconceivable when you really think about it. But uh, he's a right-right corner outfielder who's hit 34 home runs the last two years and did catch as a freshman at Georgia Tech and is working out for teams as a catcher now. So could be – I think it's going to be a really good senior sign, like an 11 to – you know, 10th round and up uh, senior sign bonus, uh, you know, kind of a guy who helps you spread out the rest of your bonus pool. Uh, I've already given my personal cheese ball. I know you said you have lots of them, Connor. You already said Brett Winston – uh, Rhett Wiseman, let's uh, close this off with your, you and Nathan, give your uh, guys who aren't top 200 guys but are personal cheese balls. Well, mine's easy. My, mine's been the same one for three years. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> don't laugh. It's no, legitimate. Else. Washington State, Redshirt Junior, Taylor Ard. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your stick to but you're welcome yeah. to pick someone else. What? You're welcome to pick someone else, though. Oh no, I'm good. I'm a, I'm picking those guns. Monogamous. I believe you're, I believe you're convicted. Yes. Uh, What do you got there? Uh, What do you got there, Nathan? I'm gonna pull a fast one, and my guy is now eligible to be a non-top 200 cheese ball because he's not eligible for the draft. Nathan Kirby. Keep an eye on this guy. Cheating, dude. Whatever. He's gonna go to Virginia. I think he could see a similar path. Danny Halton. I don't know. I don't think he's going to be the number two pick, but he could be a first rounder as high as a mid first rounder after three years uh, at the University of Virginia. He officially removed himself from the draft uh, this week by not turning in the uh, the required information and the waivers, the, the submitting to the drug testing and releasing your medical records. 
to the scouting bureau, uh, so he can't be picked. But, you know, he's a left-hander that, you know, I've seen him 88 to 91, touching some twos. Uh, you know, he can be down in the zone. Uh, he's got a good frame, 6'2", you know, in that kind of 180, 190-pound range. Uh, but he's got a really good, hard curveball that's a downer, got downer action to it. And it sits, you know, 77 to 80 miles an hour. So I think, uh, you know, he he's going to be one of those guys that goes to UVA, and you're going to be hearing his name, you know, if everything goes right in the first round in three years. What does he think about bending at the knee before he delivers a pitch? Well, I assume he's okay with it because he's committed there. <laughs> and how, does he li- how does he like that's towel That's what drills. they do. <laughs> yeah, he better like towel drills. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's what's in his future. So, uh, yeah, good stuff, guys. It sounds like you guys are uh, – Nathan, you're getting ready to hit the road, and uh, Connor, you're welcome to drop in on the podcast tomorrow with me and Jim. We certainly don't have to bogart as we go over some uh, first-round projections, and uh, it's awfully early to do that, but it's also fun to do. So uh, the draft is uh, too big to be contained by one podcast, so we're going we're gonna to make it two here this week at Baseball America. We hope you enjoyed it, and uh, remember to follow us uh, for all your draft news on Twitter, at Connor Glassy, at BA High School. I'm at John Manuel B.A. or just at Baseball America. Or here on the podcast. Until tomorrow's part two of the Mega Draft Pod. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.